We thank you for taking the time to listen to this teaching from Metro Church. We hope this inspiring message will empower and enrich your life. So I don't know if you've ever had any reason to look at a blueprint of a building, of a house, of uh, plans that an architect is sketching up to be built. Uh, what you'll come to find out is that it is very, very detailed and is supposed to be very, very accurate to what is being built, what has been built. Somebody walks in and you're wanting to do a remodel job, you're wanting to change some things, they want to see the blueprint. They want to know where the immovable things in your building are so that they don't mess with it and affect the structural integrity of that building. Are you hearing me? And so what's interesting about blueprints, I, I remember looking at some here as we were uh, first coming into this space and trying to figure out which walls we could take down and how we could change it to better uh, allow the church to uh, minister to people, minister to children, moving walls in a kid's ministry, all of that. And I just remember looking at this thing that looked kind of foreign to me. It looked, I was, you know, 23 years old and just, uh, you know, involved in the youth and young adults ministry, but full of vision for just ministering to all ages. And so as I was looking through these things, I'm trying to learn what all these little me, you know, these symbols mean. And um, I came to realize that you have to follow codes. You can't just do what's cool. It'd be so awesome. Okay, true story. If you ever go back in our kids' ministry, uh, there is this big open classroom that we call the Boston Common. It's the, the older kids class. And a shout out to all the kids teachers and the team that's back there with our kids right now. You know, I, uh, me and a, a few of the, the people that have grown up around here, Chris Melvin, Tom Melvin, some of these guys, uh, we were in the back classroom doing some, some work back there. And we just decided, we're like, I don't know, what are we going to do here? And so we just decided to just make a big hole that looks like a hobbit hole, a circle. And it just, we didn't know what we were going to do with it, but we just thought, that's cool. But we had to check to make sure that it was going to be good with code, like nothing was structural there. And whew, thank God there was nothing structural there, right? But eventually we turned it into a tunnel because a hobbit hole made no sense, right? But we were like, this is going to be cool. So it's now a cool tunnel, but it started as a hobbit hole. Um, <laughs> but what, what I'll tell you is when you go to make changes, when you go to uh, invest time, energy, and effort into building something, you better be sure that it's going to, to pass final approval. You better be sure you are working to code and not just making it cool. Sometimes we are led by popularity more than we are God's commands. We have walked away from God's codes just to try and stay cool with the times, with what people are expecting. And uh, I'll tell you, as we get into the word today, I want to make sure that you get final approval for your site plans, for the blueprints before you build. We're all building something, aren't we? Some of us are building families. Some of us are building careers. Some of us are, all of us should be building relationships. All of us are building something. But rather than getting to the end of our life and finding out everything we invested, our time, our energy, all of our resources, instead of getting to the end of our life and finding out that we wasted our whole life building something that would not get God's approval, let's first bring our plans to the Lord and make sure that we get the permits to continue building that which we want to see happen in our life. Yes? Are you on board with this? 
So in the same way you must get approval for your site plans and blueprints before getting permits to build, we too should be submitting our plans to God and his word to see if we receive those permits to build. It says in James 4, submit yourselves to the Lord. I didn't give you that one. Sorry, don't, don't wonder like, why is it not here? That's just here. Submit yourselves to the Lord, right? What's interesting about submitting yourself to the Lord, it's submitting everything. It didn't just say submit your hands to the Lord for him to use your hands, but he doesn't have your hearts. He didn't just say submit your heart to the Lord, but do whatever you want and you don't have to serve him. Submit yourselves to the Lord, right? I love how it then goes on to say, and the devil will flee. Whew. Come on. Some of you wonder why you hang out with the devil so much. You haven't submitted yourself to the Lord. He's not fleeing because actually you're too busy partying with him. But God, you're supposed to keep him away from me. Well, there's nothing about you that has submitted yourself to him and you expect his protection. Okay, I'm going to let that just hang out there for somebody somewhere. Okay, we're good. But listen, if we don't submit to the Lord, we could, again, spend our whole lives building something that God will not give final approval for. So building is more than making something aesthetically pleasing. It's knowing it, that you are building it to code so that it will pass final inspection. If you're taking notes, we must know God's codes and have studied his blueprints so the life we build can pass his inspection and receive his final approval. I... I was reading in 2 Timothy. I talked to you a little bit about the scripture last week. It says this, remind everyone about these things and command them in God's presence to stop fighting over words. Such arguments are useless and they can ruin those who hear them. Work hard so you can present yourself to God and receive his what? His approval. We see this continually in the scripture. God wants us to study to show ourselves approved. So, why do we so often care more about the approval of man than we do the approval of heaven? Why do we care so much about what our neighbors think when they see what we drive or about what other people think when they see uh, what we do for a living? Why do we care so much about that yet seem to forget that we should be living for heaven's approval? I want to talk to you about the codes of Christianity. Number one, in Christ, truth is not subjective. Truth is not subjective. The world will want to have you believe that truth is subjective. That it could be different for both of us, but equally right. That sounds nice, doesn't it? It's garbage. It's a dumpster fire that can lead to eternal fire but it sounds so nice. It's not possible. Church, if something is true, it means something else is false. If something's true, it means something else is false. And so when we step into the light of Christ or when we are enlightened, so to speak, through revelation, the truth that we find in Christ is not subjective to different points of view. The truth of Christ is not subject to, nor should it be influenced by personal feelings, tastes, or opinions. Now, that's not, that's not me saying that there's only one right way to worship God. Worship God. Doesn't mean you can't have a taste or an opinion in the style of worship you want, but you can't have a taste or opinion of what is sin and not. If it's black and white, as, as some of my friends, then eat the page. 
right? If it's in black and white, if it's in scripture, if God has not given any gray area, then it's not up for opinion just because the social climate says it is. Just because it seems trendy to say, well, you know, love is love. Well, you know, I'm, I'm not here to judge. I'm here to tell you that there will be judgment. And even though I'm not here to judge, someone will judge. Why? Because that's between you and God, but I'm certainly not going to let us live in this gray area. Are, are we understanding? And so in Christ, truth is not subjective. Ephesians 4.21, when you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with what? The truth that is in Jesus. The truth that is in Jesus. Not one of the truths, not a truth, but in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. What am I trying to say? The code for Christianity is to submit to the truth that is Jesus and only Jesus. We preached a series that you can pick up in the cafe. It's called um, Exclusively Inclusive. And the whole concept was this. If we want to have right standing with the Father, if we want to have relationship with God, then we must exclusively come to him through his only son, who is the only one that lived a perfect life to die for your imperfections, so that when we accept Jesus, he saves us alone. So it is exclusively Jesus. There is not another road that leads to heaven. And that sounds so mean. But when something's true, something else is false. And only your enemy would mislead you. Can I tell you the world is your enemy because it tries to mislead you every day? The news could be your enemy because it tries to mislead you every day. Social media exactly, definitely is your enemy based on what I see you putting up there. You ruin my cup of coffee sometimes. <laughs> what? They cannot believe that. Two more espressos, please. Listen, we have to understand that God has a North Star, a guiding truth that is his son Jesus. God wrapped himself in flesh, came to the earth so that he could say, not like they said, how I did. Not like someone else said, but what I did. It's exclusively Jesus, but here's the most beautiful part about it. He's inclusive for all. And just as quick as the exclusivity of Jesus is spoken about, it must be spoken about how inclusive he is to anyone, all that would come. Both Jew and Gentile. We know what the Jews are, who are the Gentiles. Anyone in this room that is not a Jew is a Gentile. Right? So he came for us all. Thank you, Jesus. Anybody else feeling that right now? John 1. In the beginning the wo uh, was the Word. Capital W. Speaking of God, right? And the Word was with God. Speaking of Jesus who was with God. And the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and the life that was light uh, of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. This whole scripture is building the case for Christ. 
It's building. That capital W means it's a name, and the Word of God is Jesus. Listen, when we see that everything is processed in this world through Jesus, that's a big deal. He wasn't just a good teacher. He was a teacher. He wasn't just a good prophet. He was a prophet. He is the only Messiah that is the Savior of the world, and he is the name that all knees shall bow to. He is the name that all tongues will confess. He is the one who changes everything. It's not subjective to opinion when we are Christians. When we say yes to Jesus, we say no to everything else. This is not a local buffet. Oh, I'll take a little bit of Jesus with a side of Buddha. Add some of that karma. Oh, and you need a helping of good vibes. John 1.14, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Talking about Jesus. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and what? He was full of it, the good stuff. He was full of truth. He is truth. There's nothing dishonest. There's nothing unclear. That's why it's not subjective. Not partially true, but full of truth. To live a life picking and choosing pieces of the Bible you want to believe based on your BC or before Christ worldview breaks God's building codes and will deny receiving final approval. If I say yes to Jesus, I say no to what it was before Jesus. There has to be a past life if I'm present with Jesus. Okay, I'll keep moving. See, we read over and over in the word that Jesus came as a light and that the word of God is spoken of as a light that helps us see through the dark world. Psalm 119 says this, I have kept my feet from every evil path so that I might obey your what? Word. I have not departed from your laws for you yourself have taught me. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. I gain understanding from your precepts. Therefore, I hate every wrong path. Your word is a lamp for my feet, a light on my path. Not a light, the light. Not some truth, all truth. It is not subjective. When you say you believe in Jesus, it is not subjective to your opinion how you will believe upon Jesus. Okay? Number two, another code, to accept Christ is to be made new. It's to be made new. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, and to be made new in the attitude of your minds. And to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. There needs to be a continual transformation that begins with the decision to accept and follow Christ. We have this moment where we go, man, I realize I am a sinner. What is sin? Sin is just missing the mark. Sin is just not being perfect. If you think you're not a sinner, you believe you have lived the ultimate perfect life that no one has been able to speak against. Liar. I spoke against it. So if we have sinned, then we must need a savior. 
Because Romans says that for the wages of sin equals death. So what it means is because we have messed up, we deserve death. But Jesus said, I will take that death on so they can receive my life. Are you understanding the gospel? The amazing nature of grace. To accept Christ is to be made new, not just feel better about your old. Hmm. Man, I feel so good. I asked Jesus to forgive me. So what are you still doing here? Oh, I'll ask him later to forgive me again. Not here's in the church, here's in wherever you already just thought about. To be made new, although grace and forgiveness are immediately received, transformation of becoming new is a lifetime progression. Say progression. Progression. Sometimes we feel as though we need immediate perfection. God is about progress, not perfection. We won't be made complete and perfect where we never, ever, ever mess up until we're on the other side. We are made holy and righteous because of who Jesus is, but we've got to get up and continue to transform. You know you would transform so much more if you would just silence some of the things that you've given too much ear to. Some of the people you spend too much time with. Some of the things that continue to not only remind you of your past, but pull you back into your past. You would transform a little more if you just made simple decisions on what's best for your spirit man or woman, not just the natural desire or scratching that itch. Yes? So, however, sometimes we, we see those who confess to follow Christ seemingly put off the transformation for what seems like a lifetime. They're, they're in Christ in word, but not in deed. And I'll confess Christ, but not change till I settle down and am older. We act as though God does not know our thoughts when we start to say things like that. I think of it oftentimes, of, I was talking to the men at, at our, our men's meeting this past weekend and, and talking about kind of this bus stop mentality, right? We've, you know, or maybe you go to Boston a lot and you're thinking of the T and you got the, the rail, right? And there's all these stops. And it's like when you say yes to Jesus, you get on the bus, you get on that, that train and it starts moving you down the line. But there are moments in your life where you get a chance just to get off. And then we start to feel good that we have made three stops, but yet we live at the third stop, at the bus stop, at the train stop for a very long time, thinking that we feel, man, I feel good that I'm not at stop one. But when you've been at stop three for 20 years, get on the bus. Get back on the bus. Get back on the train and keep growing. Keep moving. Transformation needs to keep happening. And as long as you only compare yourself to your past rather than God's future, you'll always feel good about something that's bad. Got to get back on the bus. Got to keep growing. Got to keep moving. So we must continue to take inventory on how much we are becoming more like Jesus and less like our old selves. You know, I start to kind of think of how many versions ahead are you? If I think back at Chad 1.0, how many versions ahead am I? 
I feel like when we start being obedient to Christ, okay, I accepted Jesus. Now I'm 2.0 just because I have moved forward in the things God has for me. I chose to go and uh, fulfill the obedience and be water baptized. Now I'm 3.0 because I'm progressing in Christ. How many trend how, continue to go down the line? Okay, I chose to leave my past and, and, and cut off bad negative influences, and now I'm doing things that God has called me to. Now I'm 3.0 or 4.0. Okay, I chose that uh, the person I was going to marry, it was more important than just the little things that I thought I cared about. Now I'm making sure that we're equally yoked spiritually, and we're going to uphold each other in the things of God. Now I'm 5.0 because two have become one, and it's the right one. Hello? Just start thinking in your manner. How far along am I? Okay. Put on the new. God's code is to grow. So how do we put on the new? Number three, to be accepted by Christ, we must take off the old. I know I've touched on that, but look what it says. We're, we're digging through Ephesians 4 right now, verse by verse, if you didn't realize that. But starting in, in 25, therefore each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor. Put off, take off, change, old you of whatever that was, right? For we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. And do not give, what? The devil a foothold. The longer you hold on to your past, the more foothold you give the devil to keep tripping you up. The longer I keep that door open that I should have closed, don't be surprised when you find yourself in the vicious cycle of sin and in the vicious cycle of old being new again. Are you getting this? Your decisions allow you... I know, and this is going to sound weird because you're like, I can't control how much the devil bothers me. Yes, you can! You can do that daily. You can do that through every decision. You can decide how much you let him mess with you. You just feel as though oftentimes you're like, God, I must just be so far from godly because I am always in a mess. No, you choose to be in the mess regularly. And then ask him to protect you from the same thing that he's given you an off-ramp for 20 times. He's like, but you could just go this way and avoid that whole thing. Oh, no, you're not. Oh, oh, it's going to suck for you again. I don't mean to be that truthful, but it is. I do mean to be that truthful. That's why I'm up here. Take a minute. All right. So what does it mean to take off the old? It means removing our habits and our isms that no longer speak to those, uh, to those things who we are now. It's, it's removing the things so that we can look more like what God sees us as. Do you realize God sees you? He sees you for what he's called you to be. He sees you for the things he's put in your life. He sees you for, for the, the future that is available to you. But we always see ourselves just as wherever we came from, not where we're going. If we can just lift up our eyes, if we can just look beyond the circumstances and realize that if I can keep my eyes on the prize and if I can keep leaning on God, he will get me there, we would be in a better situation. So I must take off whatever does not complement my new future my new spiritual family. If we're called sons and daughters, then our names have changed. Our names have been written in the book of life, which is a big deal if you're into scripture, <laughs> right? So I must take off whatever my shortcomings were 
Maybe I must walk away from dishonesty or underhandedness or a lustful nature or drunkenness or jealousy. Whatever it is that it was, I need to walk away from that. God's codes require us to take off the old self, removing our identity so that we can walk in our new identity. There's an interesting thing that, that happens on this earth. There's the ability to hold dual citizenship. You have the ability to be born in a country and own that citizenship, but yet go move to another country and be able to still sometimes hold on to your old citizenship while you get new citizenship. That does not happen in the kingdom of heaven. We don't get dual citizenship. That's why God calls us foreigners, aliens, ambassadors of heaven. Now, what does that mean? I'm not saying you're not American or you're not wherever you came from. I'm just saying in the spiritual realm, you don't get to hold dual citizenship. You don't get to continue to hold on to the past and say, well, that's just my, my earthly nature. God said, no, no, no. You're 100% a citizen of heaven. Start acting like it. Yes? So number four, to be useful for Christ, we must love, must be love and ready to build. Again, we're talking about codes for Christianity. God is interested in seeing what in your blueprints of your life indicates a heart for people and a hand for serving. When we present ourselves to the Lord, when we present our plans for our future, when you're writing up your five-year plan, when you're talking with your spouse about future plans, be sure that it's not just about you all the time. Because that's not what Jesus, uh, you know, showed us. It's not what he exemplified. Jesus was about other people. And he said, do as I did. Be like me. Paul said, be imitators of Christ. He said, follow me as I follow Christ. Pretty specific on who we're to be. Well, then that means we must be love and ready. Ready to build. Ready to do what God's called us to do. And so... What in my blueprint indicates benefit to the body of Christ? What benefits show up for the sake of Christ? Our actions should be full of love and working for God's purposes. Again, Ephesians 4. Any one of you who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with your own hands, building something, yes, that they may have something to share with those in need. Okay, I got to be ready to build, but I better be loving with what I have. Right? Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths. Again, we're talking about getting rid of our old self, but only what is helpful for what? Building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Look, our, our actions need to be full of love. Our, our, uh, the things that we build need to be more than just a brick and mortar for our own selves. It needs to be building up the body of Christ. It needs to be building up your neighbor. It needs to be encouraging your friend who's downcast. It needs to be a person who says, you know what? I'm going to be selfless and I'm going to focus on helping that person in need rather than only caring about the sandcastle I'm currently building. Yeah? Number five, to pass final inspection, don't grieve the spirits. As believers, yes, we can grieve the Holy Spirit. The scripture makes that pretty clear. How do we do that? We do this by frustrating, perhaps thwarting, 
or through our idleness, work against what the Holy Spirit is trying to do in your world and through your life. Ephesians 4.30, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. It just explains how we can grieve the Holy Spirit right there. You're constantly angry and you fly off the handle. You're grieving the Spirit because you claim Jesus, but you act not like him. You'll claim the benefits of Jesus, but you're not showing the benefit to the world and you're not showing fruit. How many remember the scripture says a tree bears its own fruits? A bad tree doesn't bear good fruits and a good tree doesn't bear bad fruits. What does that mean? If I'm bearing fruit that is not good, I've got to go back and transform my life because there's enough not good in me that I'm producing negative fruits. You're getting this, church. I know it can be kind of hard to hear, but we need to hear this because we just walk around like zombies as if everything's fine, as if my life is good enough. Well, for, for, for Christ's sake, my life is good enough. No, it's not good enough. Transformation is required for those that believe in Christ. It goes on to say, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other. Just as in Christ, God forgave you. Do you know you can grieve the Spirit just by not forgiving your neighbor? You can grieve the Spirit by holding bitterness to some, for somebody else or, or by wishing ill on them. You can grieve the Spirit by not being like Christ. The Holy Spirit is here to help you do the things you can't do on your own. But if we don't allow him to move and have the inner workings of our mind and move through us and uh, empower us to do it. I mean, oftentimes we'll, uh, you know, I'll talk with my wife and we're dealing with confrontations regularly. Um, you know, I think a pastor is also known as like a spiritual firefighter. We're always putting out fires all the time. And uh, sometimes there, there are times even where we run into things in the past and, and people that may have really hurt us one way or another. When we have the moment to talk to them, we find out we are more full of grace and mercy than we thought we were because we didn't intend to say all the things we said, but the Holy Spirit enabled us to say what was needed and allowed us to heal from something that we, weren't, we were wondering if we were healed from. We believe in spiritual healing. We believe in miracles. And I believe you, it's a miracle, believe you me, to forgive that person. But the Holy Spirit allows us to do that and enables us to do that if we're not so busy grieving him. I just don't see the Holy Spirit active in my life. Well, how are you grieving him? What are you still holding on to and doing that actually is disabling his ability in your life rather, rather than enabling you to do what you're called to do? Personal responsibility doesn't disappear because we enjoy grace through Jesus. We are to be ambassadors for Christ and allies in the work of the Holy Spirit through our actions. I don't want to stand before God and find out that I grieve the Spirit by my lackadaisical lifestyle, my refusal to speak up about the things that mattered to God, or that I was shameful in my representation of Christ by how I spoke or lived. We must never lose sight that we are building a life that will have to pass final approval. We will stand before God and be judged based on what we did with our life. Exodus 32 says, But the Lord said to Moses, Whoever has sinned against me, I will blot out of my book. Whew! Okay, that's pretty... There is a book, people. There is a book. 
Revelations 3.5 says, He who overcomes will thus be clothed in white garments, and I will not erase his name from the book of life. I will confess his name before my Father and before the angels. Okay, so there's a way to overcome, and that's through Jesus, yes? Not because we're going to live perfect lives, but, uh, lives, but because we continue to say, God, forgive me. Holy Spirit, help me. Jesus, show me. Lastly, Matthew 25, 21, commending his servants, the master replied, this is what we all hope to hear when we get to heaven. You've done well and proven yourself to be my loyal and trustworthy servant. Because you have been a faithful steward to manage a small sum, now I will put you in charge of much, much more. You will experience the delight of your master who will say to you, enter into the joy of your Lord. When I say keep your eye on the prize, I'm talking about hearing well done, good and faithful servants. I'm talking about not just having the, the padded portfolios and all the rest. I'm talking about when we stand before God, because we all will. Some people believe that once you're a Christian, you don't have to go through that awkward moment standing before God. That's not true. We will all stand before the throne. And we will all stand alone before the throne. I mean, you're not riding coattails of somebody else in your family. This is between you and God through Jesus. Did you understand that? We hope you've enjoyed this teaching from Metro Church.